You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Hello, everybody. We are continuing our series on sex, etc., as you can see. And today I'm going to be speaking about what really satisfies. I've asked the youth to stay in. I think today's topic is just far too important, especially for the next generation, to, um, to not hear. So we want to encourage the youth to listen up today. Youth, I dare you to put your phone away. Um, in fact, I ask you to put your phone away. <laughs> um, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. It's very near the end of the Bible. Uh, while you're turning there, I'll just explain Peter. Uh, this is a letter from Peter. Peter was one of the disciples. He walked with Jesus for three years or so uh, while Jesus uh, was... In his time of ministry, he was a fisherman by trade, and then he, became, he was a zealous man, which means he was enthusiastic about overcoming the Romans, and he would often put his foot in it. If you look in the Gospels, you will, uh, you will, hear, Jesus, uh, you will hear Peter talk a lot, and once or twice he says some very silly things, and he has to kind of repent pretty quickly. Uh, but he's a bit like us in that sense, that he, 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 he thinks he's cleverer than he is. Um, and Jesus teaches him. But in the end, Jesus says to him, Peter, you are the rock upon which I'm going to build the church. So he actually um, uh, gives Peter this authority and speaks this anointing over him. And Peter is one of the apostles, one of the sent people of Jesus. And he is writing here to the early churches. And let's turn to it, uh, verses 9 to 11. He says this then, But you are a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Let's pray. Father, we welcome you here. We thank you for being among us during the worship time. We thank you for the lovely truths that we sang about, the important truths that actually we stand upon. We stand upon those truths. We have thrown our lot in with you, Jesus. We have put all our eggs in one basket. We want to give our lives to you. Those of us that call ourselves Christians here today, we want that. And those of us that don't, Lord, I pray, speak to them. Speak to them this morning. Reveal yourself. People will be here saying, I don't even know if he's real. I pray this morning, speak to every one of us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help me to speak from my heart in the authority of the Holy Spirit. I pray you give us ears to hear and soft hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So I want to to preach this morning about what really satisfies. What really satisfies. We're going to be talking about lust and pornography And we're going to be talking about what really satisfies. Okay? Peter starts this section. Before he tells the uh, Christians how to behave in this way, he starts by saying, this is your new identity. And this is a pattern in the epistles, the letters from Paul and Peter here. uh, They always, before saying to somebody, before saying to the Christians, stop doing this or uh, start doing this, they say, remember, you are this. 
Remember, you are this. So they don't just, I mean, lots of the, the world would look at Christianity and say, oh, Christianity is just a, a killjoy. It's just a group of people who are not allowed to do a bunch of things. And I don't want to be any, I don't want anything to do with that. And actually, uh, we see the, the apostles saying, no, it's not just about not doing things. It's about remembering who you are. As a Christian, uh, we are called born again. We are called new creations. We are something new. We have a new identity in Jesus this is the identity that Peter starts with in this section. He says, you are chosen. You are chosen. Did you know that you're not just a random event if you become a Christian? You did not find Jesus. He found you. Did you know that you are not random? You didn't fall into Christianity. You are chosen. And that means something. That means something. You know, you are royal. Royalty. Heirs with Christ, as we heard just now. We are heirs with Christ. We are uh, children of the living God. And we have access to the throne because of it. This is profound. And we can easily overlook it. We can easily uh, just let it kind of go over our heads and read these as very abstract kind of ideas. We've got to feast on these truths because they are our identity. If we're Christians, we are royalty. We are holy. We are holy. We are set apart. We are righteous. Have you ever seen um, somebody at the traffic lights uh, who wants to wash windscreen wipers, uh, wants to wash windscreens? And uh, I don't know if it's legal anymore, but this used to happen. And sometimes there would be people there, and uh, they're trying to get money desperately. And and the, the the cloth that they're wiping the windscreen with was dirty. And so actually, the more they wipe, the dirtier it would get. And that was a lot like us when we're trying to make ourselves better with God and say, God, I want to make myself acceptable to you. I'm going to try and be better and better and better. I'm going to try and be holy. We just get worse and worse and make ourselves dirtier. We needed Jesus to come down to us and give us a righteousness of his own to stand in. And that is part of what Peter is saying here. You are holy. And all of these things aren't on their own, are they? He says, you are chosen race. You're a chosen race. So he's even talking about race here, saying, uh, don't think of yourself uh, primarily in your ethnic race. Think of yourself in this new race. He's speaking to Jews and uh, Greeks and uh, Romans. He's saying, you are a new race. You're a new people. You're the race of God, the chosen race of God. You are holy, not just a holy person, a holy nation. God is making for himself a nation, a group, a people group. Uh, I missed one out. You are a royal priesthood. Not just a priest, but a priesthood. A people group who glorify and speak of the excellencies of Jesus. We are a people, and we're not just a people. We are a people for his own possession. For his own possession that he has won. We look in uh, the Bible and it talks about Jesus winning for himself a bride. Like a, a man who woos a woman and has for himself a bride of his very own. Jesus and the Father are possessive of us. They're jealous of us even, that we would have, they would have our hearts, that the Father would have our hearts. He wants us for his own possession. And he has us for his own possession. And that's a beautiful thing. It says, once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, and now you have received mercy. So the last verse of this, verse 11, is what I want to focus on today in our series. He says, Beloved, 
I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Now he uses two words here, sojourners and exiles. You could say, why is he talking to them? Why is he using that phrase? Why is he talking to them about being sojourners? Well, that means foreigner or traveler. And really, in the backdrop of the last few verses, he's saying, because you are a new creation, because you are now in Jesus, you're this royal priesthood, this chosen race, this holy nation, you're actually not of this world. You may be in this world, but you're not of this world. Don't get too comfortable, because actually, when you become a Christian, you become a citizen of heaven. You become a citizen of the kingdom of God. Don't get comfortable. You are travelers here. You're not made for this world, not even made to get comfortable in this body. And it's quite helpful for us here because uh, he talks, talks about body and soul as two separate things. I don't know if you, how you feel about that. You may have your own ideas. Uh, today, often, often people will probably say, I'm a body uh, with a soul. The Bible seems to say, actually, you're a soul with a body. You're wearing this body, this decaying balding body that is getting fatter and older. But one day, there will be a new body. We look forward to that day. But we are a soul with a body. And he's saying here, don't invest in a passing thing. Don't invest in the flesh. Don't invest in your body. It's, a passing, it's passing clothing that is going to go. The Bible says, don't store up treasure on earth where moths and rust destroy. Like clothes in a cupboard, moths eat them. And that's how a body is like. He says, it says in the Bible, store up treasures in heaven where that doesn't happen. Where no one can break in and steal. Nothing can be taken from you. Store up treasures in heaven. The Bible says that we should prioritize our soul. Care of our soul over care of our fleshly desires. Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? but forfeit his soul. And we have a phrase today where we say, so-and-so sold his soul to the devil, don't we? And really that means a similar thing. It means somebody who has compromised a lot in order to gain fame and fortune and to probably do something quite greedy. That person sold his soul to the devil. They don't, they're not investing in their soul. They just want something for the here and now. And yes, they got it, but they sold, compromised their soul. So the temptation here for us would be probably to detach mentally. We could dismiss this. You know, the Bible, passion, you know, fleshly passion, waging war against my soul. Get over it. Come on. Get a grip. It's so over the top. It's so archaic. You Christians, you're so intense. The Bible needs to just chill out. Stop being so unrealistic. Yes, so I want to sleep around. Stop ruining my fun. Stop telling me what I can't do. What I've got to say to you today is exactly the opposite. Not that God wants to kill your joy, but God wants you to seek joy. What I want to say to you today is not that God says, stop seeking pleasure. Stop it. Stop it. No, God says, seek more pleasure. Seek greater pleasure. This is our weapon. We're going to talk a bit about porn and lust. And then we're going to go on to say what really satisfies. Tom spoke at the beginning of the series about our sex-mad culture. Uh, He talked about some statistical things and some pretty ugly things of today. I'm going to go a little bit down this route of pornography. I think it's too important for us not to talk about. 
Porn is more prevalent today than it ever has been in history. It's more available and privately and anonymously accessible than ever before. Previous generations would have to go into a shop, have to ask somebody to get them something, and that thing would be a few pages. Today, within five seconds, most of us with what we have in our pocket could access explicit videos, graphic videos that don't have any limit. It's become more acceptable today as well, with people talking openly about their experiences. Sitcoms joke about using pornography. Uh, Couples are using it together. Let me read you some statistics. 25 million websites are dedicated to pornography. Between 10 and 15% of all websites are porn sites. Every second, 30,000 people are watching pornography worldwide. 40% of Christian men say they struggle with pornography. It's also a female problem. Between 30 and 50% of porn users are women. You probably know that men are more visually uh, stimulated and and perhaps women may be more in the fantasy area of uh, the perfect uh, partner rather than the perfect sexual experience. 50% of porn users are under 18. Tom talked about some horrible statistics of Young pe- that he read in the news of young people sending photos to each other now is, is popular. So this is something that we need to talk about and to get our head out of the sand and be aware. Personally, my story, uh, I was shown a pornographic picture when I was in a park when I was eight years old. And uh, when, as porn became more and more accessible over the years, I struggled with it uh, into my 20s, in- through my teenage years, into my 20s, and even into our marriage. It's a serious thing. It's damaged me a lot. Things I'm still working through. And it's damaged our marriage. It's serious. Let's read about what some people say about pornography. Peter Tatchell. While pornography can be dehumanizing and exploitative, it can also be educative, liberating, empowering, fulfilling, and immensely socially beneficial. That's what some people think. Don't know how you feel about that. Maria Mayline Grant says, Pornography occurs in the mind. Once porn is downloaded into our mental hard drive through the portals of the senses, it works like a computer virus, corrupting our thoughts about sexuality. Contaminated files include our thoughts about being male or female, what we believe about our sexuality, how we plan to behave sexually, and whether we have the capacity to remain faithful in marriage. Robertson Davies says, Pornography is rather like trying to find out about a Beethoven symphony by having someone tell you about it and perhaps hum a few bars. He's saying it is a terrible substitute for a beautiful thing. And Ted Bundy was a rapist killer, serial rapist killer in America, who actually served the death penalty. He said, Porn is addictive and progressive. Addictive in that you can get stuck in it. It's hard to get out of. And it is progressive in that you get more and more immune to it. So you've got to get deeper into find it. To find it enticing, you've got to find more hardcore stuff. And he also said that he'd met a lot of men who were motivated to commit violence like him. Not one of them wasn't into pornography. That tells a story, doesn't it? It affects us. 
Porn is essentially very selfish, isn't it? Selfish. It's all about what I can get. It's all about indulging myself with pleasure. Serving myself. And if you invest in selfishness, there are consequences, aren't there? I mean, it doesn't make... Uh, it makes so much sense, it's not hard to argue that porn users find it harder to create and maintain real relationships. They find it hard to create even friendships because they lose self-esteem. There's, there's uh, guilt and shame around what they look at. And they become more introverted because of it. Because they, they're investing in a fantasy lifestyle, in a selfish lifestyle. Makes sense, doesn't it? Porn causes people to have completely distorted and wrong expectations of sex. This is what our next generation are contending with all the time. I was a teacher before working for church, and I remember during one of my placements, a, 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 a kid must have been 11 or 12 in the PE locker room, just came to me and just showed me a picture on his telephone. Just thought it was funny. Graphic scene. What? How do you think that that is, you know, the fact that he thought it was a funny thing to show me? just told such a story, and that's happening every day, all the time. It can cause spouses to feel the pressure to behave more like what they think that their spouse is interested in, and they end up doing things which they're uncomfortable with. This is some of the research that I've been looking at. It's really sad. Now let's move on. God's design for us is that if we have a spouse, that that spouse becomes our standard of beauty. That spouse becomes our standard of beauty. If you look at Adam and Eve, Adam had been waiting for a partner. He had seen all of God's creation and the animals and thought, hmm, not sure about any of those, actually. Wasn't anything suitable there. He didn't want to be standing in a wedding picture with a pig around his arm. So uh, God created for him a suitable partner, and he said, wow. And that was his standard of beauty. He never had eyes for anybody else. He only had eyes for her. Proverbs says to rejoice with the wife of your youth. If you have a spouse, your spouse becomes your standard of beauty. PJ Smythe, the South African pastor, says, if you're looking at other women's bodies, you'll not be satisfied with your wife's body. Wives, if you're filling your minds with imaginary perfect men, you don't stand a chance of being satisfied with your husband. Isn't that true? Jesus said, if you look at another woman with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So you might say, yeah, okay, Tim, okay, we get it, we get it. Some of you might say, we get it, I get it, but I have tried to stop and I can't. If this is a problem for you, if this is a problem for you, and if maybe it's not a current problem for you, maybe you're not currently in addiction, but it was a previous problem and now you're just caught up in the shame of it, then I want to say to you today, there is hope. There's hope for you. You need never look at pornography again, and you may walk free and forgiven from today onwards. Jesus said this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. You may be captive to this. Jesus says today, I've been given authority to free you. You need never look at this again. You can walk free. Not just free of the activity, but free of the shame and the guilt. You might say, how, Tim, how? Well, there are strategies to put in place. 
At the, at the back of the room, I have put the prayer area, uh, 50 or so of these prints. Uh, this is a helpful list of strategies that John Piper has written with the acronym of ANTHEM. Avoid, say no, turn, hold, enjoy, and move. They are at the back. I've got a few things to say. And there's also, I have, if you want to email me, I can do it that way. I know it might not be easy for people to pick up. But also, I have something for wives. If you know your husband is struggling with pornography, I'm happy to receive an email and send you a really helpful uh, resource for that as well. How should you behave with this? Okay, I want to help you guys. I'm not going to say to you, what? I'm going to say, I know. It's tough. I've been there. Okay? That's what we are like as Christians. We know. (laughs) We're stuck. If it wasn't for Jesus, we'd all be in the same place. Okay, so firstly, a few strategies. One, bring it to the light. Use confession. The Bible says, sin hides in the darkness. Bring it to the light, and you've done something huge to start the journey out of it. Confess. Confess to your small group leader. Confess to a friend. Confess to your youth leader. Confess to somebody of the same gender, but confess. Bring it to the light. Fight with accountability, number two. Fight with accountability. Get accountability software on your computer. Talk to somebody and say to them, please ask me regularly how I'm doing with this. This is what I do with Tom. Uh, for instance, I will, if Esme's out for a while and I'm at home on my own, I'll send Tom a text and say, Tom, I'm on my own. Just phone me in a few hours and see how, how I did. See if I was all right. And that's been a real help to me. Even when you've walked free from stuff from this, like this for years, it's like, a, like an alcoholic, I guess. You can just fall back into it. And it's good to be on top of it. Don't kid around. Fight with radical measures. The Bible says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. I'm not, uh, not going to say what I was going to say. Um, but if your, if your computer causes you to sin, if your computer causes you to sin, uh, think about what, what do you need? Could you study at the library? Could you do it somewhere, uh, could you do it somewhere public? If you have your computer in your bedroom, bring it into the hallway. Open your door all the time. Have a huge screen and turn it towards where other people will see it. If you have a smartphone and you, uh, you know uh, I, I have a problem with that, then st- just get rid of it and use an old brick phone. This is too important. It's too important. Get accountability software on whatever you have, and I'm happy to be the person who gets the emails. I will help you with this. Fight together with your spouse. This is a tough one because it's good to fight with your spouse. It's hard. We know, I know through experience, it's heartbreaking when I've had to say to Esme in the past, I'm really sorry I've done something I shouldn't have done. And it's heartbreaking and it causes division. But we want to fight together, don't we? You can say, look, it can be heartbreaking. You, as a spouse, you can be angry. You can be sad. And then you can say, right, what can we do together? Fight with humility. Number five, you've got to acknowledge your brokenness and your need for God. You can't fight something when you're saying, I can do this. I can do this. You've got to say, no, God, I need you. You've got to keep coming to God. I'm broken. I need help. And number six, fight with gratitude. Give thanks to God for what he has given you. Rather than dwelling on sometimes we, you might go there because you think, I deserve this. I've had a tough week. and I'm going to run to this thing. No, praise God for what he has given you. Thank God. Be thankful for what he has given you. 
So if I left it at these strategies, I would be doing you a disservice. Because let's be honest, you could do all of those things. And if your heart still wanted to go there, you would go there. You could have accountability software and you could use a different device. You could, uh, you could have a friend asking you and you could lie about it. So we need something that helps more than this. That's what I'm going to come on to now. Because we are pleasure seekers. What Peter's saying is to fight for lasting pleasure, full joy, not to cheapen our standards. Who has an Instagram account? Anybody here? I've got Instagram. Instagram is a, a photography uh, app. And uh, there's, a, there's a website called Rich Kids of Instagram. We're going to sh- look at a few of their photos now. These are rich kids of Instagram. They're pleasure seekers to the max. The pictures show complete indulgence. Things like yachts, cars, private planes, people bathing in champagne, people lying in beds of hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash, helicopters, mansions. Literally, there are pictures of receipts we're going to see in a minute. A receipt, just to show off how much I spent on champagne. There you go. $103,000 on champagne. Indulgence. It's party after party, and of course, there are half-naked guys and girls in most of the pictures, or lots of the pictures. These people are indulging in pleasure. Now, obviously, this is quite offensive in lots of ways because you think about the poverty in the world, and it's quite sickening to see this. But it's general, sorry, it's, a, it's just a, a normal thing to be a pleasure seeker. We are created as pleasure seekers. Our souls look for pleasure. The sad thing is that in this site also, they seem to get pleasure, maybe the most pleasure, in the fact that they are richer than 99.99% of the world. You often see some of the comments on there. It's pretty sad what can give you pleasure. But it also tells a bit of a story that even those rich things weren't enough for them. They had to boast in it as well. So what I'm saying to you today, and I think what God wants to say is that these people aren't seeking enough pleasure. What are you talking about, Tim? They're seeking pleasure in completely the wrong place. Don't get me wrong, obviously they're enjoying themselves, and they've got some pleasure, but it's fleeting. I can't take it with them in the end. It doesn't compare to the fullness of joy and everlasting pleasure that we find in Jesus Christ. It just doesn't. And this is what we've got to see. Especially if you're struggling with lust, pornography, you've got to see. This is our weapon. There's a greater pleasure in Jesus. This is my story. This is when I've won again and again. is to say, I don't want to go there because Jesus is enough. He's more than enough for me. I want to invest in that. We're only ever going to get over our dissatisfaction with life and our need for all these sinful trinkets when we see that true satisfaction can only be found in God. This is my experience with sin in general. When I'm tempted, I will give in to it unless I find satisfaction in Jesus. Unless I think, I don't want to do it just, uh, just because I'm, I'm, I'm very disciplined. I'm not going to win just you can You can win sometimes because of that, but not lastingly. My heart is focused on Jesus. That's what helps me to win time and again. I'm not just talking about sex, drugs, and rock and roll here. I'm talking about things like, Whatever gives you pleasure. If you're a bit controlling, if you lie, if you're manipulative, if you're cowardly, if you're lazy, 
If being the best at something gives you the most pleasure, even if you're fearful, feeling sorry for yourself, run away from things, they can be things that we choose that we think will give us comfort. What? Fear? Yeah. Why else would you do it? You think, I've got no choice. This, this, is, this is something I'm going to choose. I, I'm going to respond to this thing in fear. I think that's my only choice. That will bring me some comfort. No. The only solution is to ingest the joys of Jesus. And his grace, mercy, kindness, love, forgiveness, power, and peace that he alone can bring to the hungry, thirsty, famished soul. We all have a hungry soul for pleasure. I want pleasure. Jesus says, I know. Come and get it. Come and get it. I've got more than you could ever imagine. And for, the, for those in sin, whether it be porn or lust or something else, the only way to liberate the heart from the servitude to the passing pleasures of sin is by cultivating a passion for the joy and delight of beholding the beauty of God in the face of Jesus. This breaks the toxic, empty promises and the power of sin. That word there, cultivating, you've got to cultivate a passion for Jesus. If you've seen a glimpse, hold on to that glimpse. If you've had a past experience where you just know Jesus showed me that he is for me, he loves me, visit that, remember that. What did he teach me in that moment? If verses speak to you, go over those verses. Know the truth of what Jesus has done for you and what he says about you. The things that I said at the beginning, you're chosen, you're royal, you're holy. Once you were not a people, you're now a people. You didn't know mercy, now you've got mercy. Stand in these things. You've got to cultivate a joy and a passion that delights in the Lord. We had a quote from Psalm 16 earlier, and we're going to look at it now. Psalm 16 says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. That's what I'm giving myself to, the Lord. You hold my lot, says the psalmist. You hold everything, my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. Can you say that? Your whole, whole being rejoices. No, if you can't say that, then you haven't found Jesus to be your pleasure. My flesh also dwells secure. Are you someone who just know, I'm not secure. Often I'm insecure. Find security in Jesus. For you will not abandon my soul to shell. That's another word for hell. Says you're not, he says he won't abandon you. If you're someone who is fear of abandonment, fear that you're not good enough, fear that he'll let you down, find that he is the one who won't abandon you. Or let your holy one see corruption. And this is what we heard earlier, and this is the whole point of today's message. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You could say to me, Tim, do you honestly think you're happier with Jesus than those kids with all of that stuff? I would say, in his presence there is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures, not for now, not that rust and destroy, uh, destroyed and that people could steal, but pleasures forevermore. It's costly sometimes to follow Jesus, but I'm convinced 
that pleasures in him are greater than pleasures that anywhere else can offer. We've had some costly things in our lives. We moved to South Africa when we were actually pretty happy where we were. And we had five years in South Africa, which I found probably some of the hardest years of my life. But I am convinced that following Jesus will bring me greater pleasures than anything else can bring me. We're trying to buy a house at the moment. And uh, my dad sold their house recently. And I said to him, any chance on some early inheritance to help us? <laughs> and he, uh, he came through. He actually gave me, he, he gave me 10,000 pounds. And uh, uh, a few weeks ago at the Scent event, I, I, in the worship time, I felt God said to me, I want you to give that back. And I thought, okay. I gave it back. And I came back to Ez. I said, Ez, is it all right with you? I feel God said to give this back. And she said, okay, I trust you, which is fantastic. You want to get a wife like that? And we trust God, we trust each other. And uh, he gave it back. And I said to Ez at the time, this might mean, it's quite heartbreaking, really, in a good way. <laughs> it was, it was a, it was, I, the weird thing was I felt it was a privilege to, to just think, God is so much better than £10,000. But I did say, this might mean we don't get a house for a long time, because we're trying to buy a house. And this, is, this takes a big chunk off our money. We were trying to get a house a few weeks ago that was well out of our budget when God said this to me. <laughs> so I'm saying, What? You want me to give this back? Okay, okay. Because I trust you, in you are pleasures evermore. I'm not going to hold on to things that aren't going to help me in the long run. Even if it means I have to pay a price. God says, I want to take you on an adventure. I want to give you life. Not trinkets. There's a story where Jesus, we, I'm sure most of us know, Jesus fed 5,000 people with... Uh, a small amount of food, a few loaves of bread and a few fishes. And he fed 5,000 people. And they were amazed and they ate well. And a few days later, those people followed him and they said, "Uh, Jesus, we're hungry again. Can you do your trick, please? Can feel my tummy rumbling? Jesus said, you don't get it, do you? I didn't come to give you stuff. I am the bread of life. You know that. He is the bread of life. He didn't come to give you stuff. He didn't come to make your stuff better. He came to restore a relationship with God that you would know you are everything to me. In you, there is fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. We're going to have communion in a moment. I'm going to pray. I really want to help people who are struggling with this. If you want to come and get one of those resources at the back, if you want to get prayer for anything, Let's be aware people will come to the back for prayer today that's nothing to do with this. Okay? So let's not uh, keep our eyes open for anything like that. If you want to email me, phone the office, ask for my email address, whatever, do that. I'm, I'm very aware that that might be easier for a lot of people. Let's put our faith in Jesus for life, not in anything else. Let's win battles with sin because Jesus is better. He is the bread of life. In the moment, we're going to have communion, as I said. And uh, let me just read the passage, the communion in the Bible. He's the bread of life. We're going to enjoy him as the bread of life together as we sing and celebrate together. It doesn't have to be a somber thing to have communion. We can celebrate this life that we find in Jesus. It says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take it, eat, this is my body. He took a cup, and when he had given thanks, 
He gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. We're made for another kingdom. And Jesus says, enjoy that, enjoy that. If you're not uh, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven today, if you're not a Christian, if you haven't given your trust to Jesus, I encourage you, do it. Do it sooner rather than later. Experience the fullness of joy of what it is to know security in Jesus, forgiveness of sins, joy everlasting. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.